Minnow Middle got you down. Crush your sugar cravings with delicious all-natural Bossa Bars from Menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at BossaBars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, the voice of women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we have Adrienne Barbeau on our show. Oh, she is just lovely. And you probably remember her from Maude. And she played the very beautiful daughter of B. Arthur's character, Maude. And she also has just a very long career. She was in Greece. She was in all the, the Cannonball Run uh, movies. The horror movies, out. too. Yes, the horror movies. She's been an author of many books, uh, many series of books, and very interesting stories. I always love when we have someone on that can tell us stories of people that we grew up just absolutely enthralled with. It was fun to just, like you said, talk about the stories from Maud, the fact that she has been on Broadway with Tony Awards and an author and a singer. I mean, you you don't even realize how busy her career has been. She had twins over the age of 50. 51. 51. She had twins. She is often quoted as saying, I was the only woman given birth and going through menopause at the same time. (laughs) She's got energy far beyond ours. No, it was really a great interview and we think you're going to enjoy it. We want to remind you guys that we are doing March Menopause Madness and we are on week three, which is better sex. And who doesn't want to talk about having better sex? I mean, really, right, Bridget? Like, Right. I mean... You know, if you don't want to talk about it, I'm not going to judge you, but <laughs> <laughs> you could just listen. However, it, you never know, you know, so you might. You can always have talk. better sex yes. stuff. So we could. have an IG live on our Instagram. If you want to check that out, it's with Dr. Abby Metcalf. And she talked about all different tips and tricks for better sex. So you can just go to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics on Instagram. Follow us and check that IG live. Next week, we're going to be talking about better solutions with the CEO or co-CEO of Womaness, Sally Mueller. Remember also that we are doing a giveaway each and every week with Womaness and my sister's perimenopause app. This week is the better sex topic. So we are going to have the Golden V, which is a vibrator created by Womaness, their daily V Soothe, which is a vaginal cream, and Me No Pause, which is a menopause supplement that they use for symptoms of menopause. So if you want to enter for that giveaway, who wouldn't? But if you want to enter for the giveaway, just go to hotflasheschooltopics.com and you will see the link. Click the link. They'll ask for your email and you will be officially entered and winners will be drawn on Sunday, this upcoming Sunday. Next week, the giveaway will be better solutions. Oh, that was a mouthful, Bridget. Now I'm exhausted. I'll tell you, man, that was good. That was good. I'm exhausted. Okay. I think you burned about 300 calories, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to now start our conversation with Adrian Barbeau. We really enjoyed it. We know you will too. And we will talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, Bridget and I are really excited because we have American actress, author, and just a host of other things on your list or your resume, Adrian Barbeau. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I've been looking forward to doing this one. 
Well, we have been excited to talk to you because you have had such a career, such a personal life. There's so many stories. I was hoping we could kind of start at the beginning. Yes, I actually started doing community theater in San Jose, California, and um, musical comedy. The week after I graduated high school, the organization that I was doing the community theater with had a musical comedy review and we applied to the state department and were hired. It was my first paying job, $7 a day to uh, go to what in those days was known as the Orient. We were in uh, Japan and South Korea and Okinawa and Taiwan and an atomic testing center called Johnston Island entertaining our armed forces so that was, that was my first professional job. And when I finished that, I came back, I started college and then um, was working with someone who said, you know, you ought to go to New York and at least study. If nothing else, that's where all the good teachers are. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And uh, sort of told myself, if you're not earning a living as an actor by the time you're 25, you'll go back to college and get your degree and then you can teach. But by the time I was 25, I was doing um, Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. Wow. It, it is so fascinating. Just all the stories within that. So I was reading, I was listening to your book and I, I just, everything, the writing that you did as a child and your journals and just how you kept journals throughout your whole life. I'm so impressed with that because I'm so bad at that personally uh, with doing that. And then just all the stories about the jobs that you had during that time. (laughs) Yeah. Are you thinking go-go dancer, Bridget? Yes, I am. I was was so fascinating. And, And, you know, you were so innocent. I was. I was in Northern California. Suburban, you know, just middle, white, middle class, lower class, whatever, but I was, I was an innocent. Yes. Yeah. There are great stories. And can you talk a little bit about, you you know, you play your Broadway debut was on Fiddler on the Roof Mm -hmm. and then you went on to star in the iconic Grease. Can you talk a little bit about your time on stage and what that was like? Well, you know, People have asked me, you know, didn't you always want to do movies or TV? I didn't grow up watching television or going to the movies. And I started uh, doing stage acting when I was, well, really when I was in junior high with a children's theater company. But, but by the time I was in high school, I was rehearsing every night, so I never... I wasn't privy to those other two mediums very much. Um, And so theater was all I knew. Until I left Greece, it was all I knew. I mean, I just knew live theater. Was Maud kind of a natural segue from stage because you did have an audience there? It was as close to stage on television as you could get. The unnatural part was I was so accustomed having worked on stage for, you know, eight years professionally, but 10 years, maybe more than that. I was so accustomed to acting on stage, which is larger, you know, that it was a transition for me to learn to work in the television medium, even though 
we did it like a play. We, re we rehearsed it for four and a half days, and then we presented it to an audience. But when I first started out, I was a little too big for that small screen. And uh, so it was a learning process. But in terms of what acting on stage meant to me, well, <laughs> I mean, it was, I didn't know before I left, you know, I mean, I didn't even know until I was in late in my high school years that people could earn a living as an actor. It never caught, I didn't think, I didn't know people did that. You know, I came from, my grandparents were farmers, my, you know, I mean, I, and so just to be able to earn a living doing something I loved, when I signed my first contract for Fiddler, uh, I went right to Bloomingdale's and got my first credit card, you know, and, and I stayed there for two and a half years because I had a weekly salary. I was doing what I wanted to do and I was able to support myself in, in a way. That's what theater at least made, did for me in the beginning. You know, it wasn't so much, Oh, I'm going to go be a star. It was like, Oh, if I could just act, for a living and not have to go 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 dance or wow. <laughs> as a waiter or something, which I never did. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it sounds like uh, so when you got on Maud, it was so different. And I can imagine in the book you talk about how you were you got there and there's B. Arthur and there's Esther Roll and there's all these people that were all these great theater actors. And you were, was this your first television experience with yeah, Maude? My, my very first, my very first. Wow, talk about wow. being thrown into the deep end right there. Yes. <laughs> I was very fortunate because I had a producer, Norman Lear, who uh, days when I lost, you know, I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. He was so supportive and he just said, hey, trust me, I know you can do this. You know, <laughs> you may not trust yourself, but I trust me. And uh, and he stayed with me. If it were, I think if it were nowadays, when the industry is so much different, um, probably if I hadn't gotten my laughs on the very first table read, they would have replaced me, you know, but then they were willing to, they saw something and they said, give her a couple of weeks to settle in. Mm -hmm. we, I've, we've heard that about Norman Lear, haven't we, Colleen? Mm -hmm. Just how yes. great Norman Lear was and helping people. Because your character on Maud played such a feminist, did you have that within you? Were you a feminist to begin with? Or did you kind of have to learn what she stood for? You know, Colleen, up until the time I did Maud, and, and I wasn't... I wasn't politically, my, my, I, was, I was not raised in a political family, you know, I don't remember ever reading newspaper when I was in, you know, when I was a younger person. I wasn't truly aware of a lot of what was going on around me. However, and, and it was Maud and playing the role of Carol, which put me in, in the eyes of the media as a spokesperson for the feminist movement. Right and made me examine what I was thinking, what I was believing. I look back on it now and I realize my mother was, my mother was an extremely independent woman who, uh, you know, who married outside of her nationality. I mean, my mother's Armenian and she married 
you know, someone who wasn't Armenian, you didn't do that. And she was very independent and she raised her two daughters by herself and, uh, you know, didn't have a racist bone in her body. And so I guess there's a part of me that was, that had that strength. And my grandmother, I mean, my grandmother, my, my aunts, they all came over from the old country. They survived, you know, the Turkish massacre and everything else. And they were, they're just strong women. Right. And uh, so I come from a line of strong women and I guess I just took it for granted that, you know, that was the way you were supposed to be. When we did the abortion segment, uh, which we got a lot of flack for, and I realized, uh, you know, I had always believed in a woman's right to choose. I went through a, a, a horrific, maybe life-changing experience with a girlfriend before Roe v. Wade, who got pregnant, and this was before I was doing Fiddler, I was working for, you know, for the mafia, out, you know, someplace. And um, she came to me and, and she needed help. And I went to my boss, who I knew had uh, helped other people. And uh, he arranged for her terminate her pregnancy, which she did in the bathroom of my apartment. And it was an incredibly traumatic experience both for both of us. Do you remember the abortion episode? Or was it a two-part episode? Or I just remember the talking of the adult people about it in my yes. house. And I would love to know how you felt because when they approached you to do that episode. Because you're talking at around the early 70s. It's a different time of the world. Women's movement was really having the momentum that it seems to be lacking right now. Yes. And they approach you and they say, we're going to do this episode on abortion. What, what did you think at the time? You know, I probably took it for granted. I mean, it was great that we were doing it. What I do remember is that um, the word came down. We, we shot the first episode. It was a two-parter. We shot the first episode, and then we were told that we would not shoot the second episode until the show had aired, because this was in the first, you know, maybe 10 weeks of, this, of, of filming, and the show hadn't gone on the air yet. Had we gone on the air and our numbers not been good, we would have never done the second episode, and they would have canned the first one. Oh. So, you know, I do remember that coming down from CBS. I guess I took a lot, some of it for granted because I didn't know television. I didn't know what else was on. Um, but looking back now, I realize how incredibly fortunate I was to be involved with a show that was so socially significant and that was able to get its message across without hitting people over the head. You know, Norman... I, you know, it's one thing for you to be haranguing me about whatever you believe. It's another thing for you to be making me laugh and slipping the message in. You know, Archie Bunker was a, a great uh, example of that. Was CBS, or did they tell them that Maude would never win um, an Emmy or be nominated, even no. though they were, yeah. That wasn't... CBS. There was a big black tie affair that, that was sponsored by the Writers Guild honoring Norman Lear and his partner, Bud Yorkin. 
And oh, yeah, I remember now. (laughs) At the event, Bill Macy, who was feeling no pain, (laughs) said something very off color. And and the next day, there was a lot of talk about whether he had, there was a morals clause in his contract. Nowadays, I mean, what is that, you know? Right. Um, there There was some talk the next day about whether or not Bill you know, should be leaving the show or whatever. And I think that's when that edict came down that uh, this show was never going to, you know, win anything. But B was nominated for an Emmy for her role in the, where she did the one woman show where she's talking to the psychiatrist and it was just B on screen. B seemed like a great mentor to you in the very beginning and you seemed very close. Was that off screen as well? Yes. Yes. I didn't get to see her as much off screen because I don't know. Where are you guys located? Nashville. Nashville. You're in Nashville. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't know if you know LA, but if you live in the Valley, like I do studio city and we lived in Mandeville Canyon, I mean, we, we might as well have been living in Manhattan and Los Angeles, you know, in terms of, you don't know, drive to each other's house. And yeah. But she was, she was a great mentor. B was, and Conrad Bain was my other, Conrad was like my surrogate father. You know, I, call Conrad, I've got to buy a car. What should I buy? You know, and I just put an offer on this house. Could you come look at it and tell me if I've made a terrible mistake? And then years later, when I had my twins, Conrad was a a twin. And uh, so he was the first person I called to say, what do I do? How do I raise them? What should I do? (laughs) You know, B was just, um, she was a wonderful person to work with. She was so giving and so and all that was important to her much more so than B. Arthur was the quality of the show and the success of the show and uh and to that end she would she would do anything you know give up lines give them to somebody else because she thought they'd be funnier you know I mean she just it wasn't about B. You have done over 450 screen performances. I don't know if you know that. But having been in the business since the early 70s to now, you are a beautiful woman. What was it like on the couch for a lot of the beginning years? Were you taken seriously or were they more interested in dating? And I'm using the term dating loosely. Loosely. (laughs) I did have one experience where I had to fight somebody off it wasn't a, it wasn't a casting experience well I had applied for a job and uh, this was before I got fiddler it was uh, it was in a cocktail lounge he wanted me to come back that evening to try on the costume that all the girls wore and uh, and took me upstairs to give me the costume and you know I barely got out of there I don't remember I certainly didn't have a, a Harvey Weinstein Weinstein experience. I don't remember anything specific. So, um, but it was also, it was New York and it was theater. And, you know, that was, I think, much more predominant even then in, in television and film. And my first TV show was for Norman Lear and Bud Jorgen. So, I mean, you know, you couldn't ask for two more 
of honorable first people and um, and then everything from that point on. But no, I never had a I never had a casting couch experience. Horror nightmare. Speaking of nightmare show, you <laughs> you've done a number of horror films and what what got you well, I know you were married to John Carpenter, mm-hmm. which kind of got yes. you into them. But what did you think about doing horror films and what did you enjoy about them? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean <laughs> The first time I worked with John, it was on a television film called Someone's Watching Me, which wasn't a horror film. It was a, actually, it was the retelling of, a, of an actual story, a woman who had been stalked. I'd never seen horror films. I wasn't really familiar with the genre. I'd never seen Psycho or I didn't go to, I didn't, I didn't like, I don't like things like that, you know. And um, John handed me the script for The Fog, wanted me to do it, obviously. And uh, I remember being sort of disappointed because it wasn't the China syndrome, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't uh, coming home. It wasn't socially significant, you know. I didn't really understand, but it was a wonderful role. And, it, and in those days, as I say in my book, and I've said many times, I think, uh, if you were doing television, you couldn't get seen for film. You know, they, they, they just figured nobody would pay to go see you in a theater if they can see you for free. So this was my first movie offer. There was no way I was going to turn it down. Plus, I, I mean, John is a fantastic director, and I love the character. Um, so I did it. And I don't think any of us then could foresee what it would have be what it has become i mean the fog is is as more successful now than it was then you know people i have people come up to me who say i had one man come up to me he said i don't know how he does this but he has the fog on his cell phone or something and he's got it set to go off at a certain time and he falls asleep to it every night that's you know <laughs> that puts him to sleep because it just it holds up that he really did a fantastic job with it John did and um so um again I was really fortunate to be attached to that one and then from then because I was married to John because that was my first film you know those kinds of offers just came in and um I took some that I, well, I took them for all different reasons. I don't know how far you are in the book, Bridget, but (laughs) I took one one just because he was shooting in Russia and I'd always wanted to go to Russia. Oh gosh. (laughs) Me and 40 rats. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Oh yeah. It was a real experience, but it was worth it. You know, God forbid anybody should see it, but I'm glad I did it. I I do remember Escape from New York really well. I remember that one. And I know that you didn't enjoy Cannonball Run, uh, that one, from reading your book, that you didn't enjoy being on that set. And after I heard your story, I completely understand why, you know, you didn't like that. Um, Well, you know, I was... Can you explain to the listeners? I can, I can. Thank Um, you. I was there to act, you know, to create a character and have it be believable. I don't mean to sound, I don't know, super, I don't know what the word is, but, um, and everybody else was there to just 
have fun and it didn't matter what they said and it didn't matter what they did. And if you watch the movie and you look at the outtakes right at the end and you see Bert slapping Dom over and over and then you look at my face and you'll see how I felt about that. So that was part of it. Part of it was we had a couple of real tragedies on the set and that, that you know, that really put paid to any enjoyment. I mean, I loved working with Dean Martin because he's, you know, he's just, he was just so delightful. And Dom DeLuise was a real mensch, just really a good man. Um, and Roger Moore, I was in awe of, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't my approach to making a movie, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, after listening to that, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, the someone, two accidents happened on the set and somebody, a woman was paralyzed, a stunt woman was yeah. paralyzed. And just, I thought, oh my God. And plus the treatment, when you were saying, I do recall, because that was one of those movies that was on HBO when I was in middle school constantly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like when you got on HBO and it was on again and it was on again. And I remember that at the end, and, and it, you know, people who don't know what was going on just think it's, they may not even think it's a real slap. And then you're finding out, oh, it was a real slap. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. people were laughing out of like feeling like they should laugh to stroke an ego or something. So, right. yeah. and, yet, and yet people love that movie. They just love that movie. Yeah. It's just. It's just your sense of whatever your sense of comedy is, I guess, you know. Right. Maybe I never thought about this, but maybe it's because I came from a very structured sense of, you know, comedy where you wrote, you read what was on the page. The lines were written to, to pay off and, and to be funny. And uh, it wasn't just all, oh, we'll just do whatever we want. And the audience will think we're great. I'm curious. You were 51 when you had your twins. Yes, I'm 54. Bridget will be 54 in, in a couple of days. <laughs> I can't even imagine having three-year-olds right now. How was that at this, at that stage in your life to have twins at 51? It was great. It was, <laughs> I knew I could do it. I've always had a lot of energy. Uh, maybe the mistake I made was taking a musical at five after when the boys were just five months old but it was being directed by a friend of mine and he said, you know, we can rehearse on your tennis court until we get down to the theater. And uh, it was, it was, uh, I was sort of like, Oh, okay. I got to learn how to roller skate, play the banjo. Is that what I did? And sing in German or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> While you're sleep deprived. How did you <laughs> yes. And nursing and nursing. Yeah. <laughs> The only oh hard part was one of my boys. He sort of screamed nonstop for the first five months. And plates in his skull were pressing on nerves, and he just, he, he just, he was emotional. So driving down to Long Beach, which is where we were performing, and which is about an hour and a half, put him in the car seat, and he just screamed all the way down to the... And I'd stop on the side of the road, and I'd nurse him in the back seat, and he'd calm down, and I'd put him back in the car seat, and he'd scream again. So that wasn't so easy. But, you know, it was... Um, 
I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> Yeah, they do. And plus, you're, I mean, speaking of current, you are the voice in so many video games that I've got to talk to my son about that uh, because, well, you're with Cowboy Bebop. That is something that you're doing now. Cowboy Bebop is, is a live action series on Netflix, which is based on the anime from the 19, from the 90s. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's, my son's a big fan of that. So I'm going to have to tell him that I spoke with you today because he'll be excited. Well, but Well, you've actually transitioned. You started in the nineties doing some voiceover work. You were Catwoman. In yes. Batman yeah. Anime. Do yeah. you like doing a lot of the voice work now? Because it seems like you've been consistently doing that for some time. I do. I actually started in 84 when my older son was born because I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do it television series and be working 14 hours a day or, you know, go off and have to do a movie. My husband and I separated almost immediately after he was born. So I couldn't go to New York and do stage because his dad was here and voiceover work was fantastic. I did a lot of books on tape and commercials and individual cartoons. And then Batman came along in the nineties. And since then it's been, you know, not, not any other, series but you know American Dad or this or that and this commercial and then um and then the video games uh your son might know Fallout 76 or uh, God of War or Halo 4 I can't there I don't I don't remember all the names in the beginning it, it wasn't such a big deal and so I never even wrote them down you know <laughs> Batman Arkham <laughs> Asylum I think is one and now what I do when I'm not acting acting is uh, I do video describing for the blind so that if you're watching your television or if you're in a movie theater but if you're watching your television and you put your SAP channel on and you're visually impaired you will hear someone describing the action that's going on in between the dialogue and I love doing that. I get to see, well, some of these series I'd rather not watch. But <laughs> you know, once the pandemic hit, I was able to set up uh, my studio from the house. So a lot of it I can do from home. And uh, it keeps me busy until the next TV show comes along or the next movie comes along. Well, I don't know how much busier you can be because... <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> You, I mean, you have just nonstop seems because your your guest appeared in so many things. What would you like to see? Ha- what do you if you could pick anything? Stage, screen, film. What would you like to do next? <laughs> what, what I'd really love to do is a either a recurring role, a second or third lead on a series that I really like. You know. Or go off and do a feature, but but it's sort of nice to to be around the house and and be able to take care of the dogs. <laughs> and uh, so um, I had a great time in twenty twenty eighteen and twenty sixteen. I went on the road with the national company, and the reason I did that is because the role was so fantastic. It's the role that Andrea Martin originated on Broadway in twenty thirteen. Um, singing, hanging upside down from a trapeze 15, 15 feet in the air, you know, and singing this great song and, and doing this whole dance on the trapeze. Oh, my <laughs> and goodness. So that was, would, that was hard to turn down. So I did have a good time doing that. But, um, 
you know, I just see what comes along and, uh, and just keep going as long as I can keep going. I just finished co-editing a book that took, it really came at the right time because it, it, we started it in summer, in May maybe of 2019, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm not even sure. Maybe it was 2020. You know, I was able to work all through the pandemic or have a sense of, of creating things, something. Creating. It's a book about Greece, about, and it will be coming out next year. Uh, Chicago Review Press is publishing it for the 50th anniversary of the opening of Greece on Broadway. It's a collection of stories from more than 100 actors who appeared on Broadway or in the national company or in the, the touring companies. Uh, everyone from John Travolta to Mary Lou Henner to Barry Boswick to Peter Gallagher, Treat Williams, and then a lot of people that you might know to see because they've had a career on, on tel television or they're writers or, or they've gone on to other things. But they're very funny stories, most of them, some of them very moving, uh, about their experiences doing the show. You know, everything from their audition, what their auditions were like, uh, to getting fired maybe or getting hired or everything, being on the road and, and all of that. So I'm looking forward to that. And I want to make sure that we did mention, I can't remember, Colleen, if we mentioned before or after that you were the original Rizzo. Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. Yes. I wanted to make sure we yes. mentioned that because, wow, that is really. I do think uh, we skipped over that. I, I think we talked we about it before. About Fiddler on the Roof and then yeah, we did. But I think we, I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because that is really, and, and you were nominated for a I Tony. I was nominated for a Tony. That's how Norman Lear, you know, found out about me. And that's where I drew the title of my memoir, There Are Worse Things I Could Do. That's where I pulled that from. Pat, you have AJ and the Queen on Netflix, which came mm -hmm. out recently. Unearthed, um, which is an Amazon Prime. Right. What do you think about all of these channels that are, I call them channels, <laughs> I'm old school, about Netflix and Amazon and show, all these avenues for acting now? Does that just open up? Lots of doors for women in our demographic who might be over 50. It opens up lots of doors. Yes, I think so. Whether it's for our demographic, well, it must be. I mean, <laughs> there's got to be something in there for our demographic. I just did an American Horror Story, which I guess is streaming on Hulu. Is that, yeah. I watch MHZ Choice, which is all international series, all crime series and mysteries from Scandinavia and Italy and, and from France. And, um, <laughs> so I, you know, and so I find I'm, I'm rarely turning to network television anymore. It's, and people are talking about this and this and this and this. There's so much, there's just so much. It is, it is great from an acting point of view. It's not great financial point of view, however, as you will hear from any member of SAG because, uh, you know, a lot of the streaming services, the contracts are different. You know, we're just, we're not getting paid what we used to get paid. <laughs> well, I did not know that. That's I had not heard, heard that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because yeah. that's a lot of work. Those are long days on set. And that yeah, they are. really is. They are. 
Well, yeah. it's the reason we just avoided a strike. The IA just avoided a strike because, you know, they're, they're working long hours, hard hours, and, uh, and not getting paid for it. You know? ah, so. Yeah. And, and all those subscription services, it's, it got to the point where another <sighs> one kept coming up and another one, I thought, okay, I have to draw the line. I cannot subscribe to this. I, know, I, can't, I, <laughs> yes. I, I just looked at a statement the other day and I thought $108 for one of the streaming services, this must be per year, right? And then the next month, it's still $108. And I called him and I said, what is this? Oh, no, you're paying for this and this and this and this. I didn't order all of those. <laughs> I just want this, you know? Yes. Well, we want to thank you so much, Adrian, for coming on the show and talking to us. This has been an absolute joy to have you on. And we're, we're exhausted just talking about your careers. <laughs> oh, I don't know how you, I mean, it's so many guest appearances and shows and screen. I mean, it's just amazing. Your career has been amazing. And we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for being a wonderful guest on the show and just for sharing your stories of the past and what you are doing now and in the future. You are such a great example for women in midlife and beyond. And we hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to enter for week three of our March Menopause Madness. Just go to hotflashesandcooltopics.com. You will see the link, enter there, and you might be the winner of a great set of products from Womaness. We are sponsoring March Menopause Madness with Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, Womaness, and My Sister's Perimenopause app. If you would like to join our Facebook group, it's a private group, women only. Sorry, guys who are listening. John, that includes you. (laughs) Just go to groups and look up Hot Flashes, Cool Topics on Facebook. We have YouTube. We are now going to be partnering with Mm -hmm. VitalC, which if you go to VitalC.com, it is a great platform that has several podcasts. Our videos will be up on there and you can check out our interviews. They are going to be talking about peak stages for midlife and beyond. So we thought it'd be a great partnership, right, Bridget? Oh yeah. We're very excited to work with Vital C and they really do work with people in our demographic, our age group, and they have all kinds of different podcasts on there. So it'll be really fun. Thank you for listening today. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's a little red button. It's easy to do. And that way you don't miss a single episode. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And sometimes we throw in a bonus one on Friday. So have a great week, guys, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.